What's up, everyone? This is episode number 87 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. I've got a great conversation for you guys today that serves as a bit of a follow-up to episode 72. That was the episode where I talked about a savvy collector's approach to buying before the playoffs. Well, the playoffs are over now. Um, That collector's name was Tom. I chatted with him earlier this week, and we looked back at that approach. Did his matrix work? Would he use it again in the future? Can and should we actually take a scientific approach to buying cards? That conversation's coming up later. You don't want to miss it. But first... I want to talk about some mail that I got earlier this week. And usually this is where I talk about something that I'm excited about for my collection. Well, I didn't get much mail this week, and certainly not any big PC cards that I'm really excited about. However, one package that I got is most certainly worth talking about. Some of you guys have probably heard me talk about purchasing lots, be it on this show or another one. I like buying lots of cards on eBay because I can generally... Um, Keep the cards that I like the most for free, or at least at a reduced price, by selling the rest of the lot to cover the cost. Uh, Sometimes I make some money in the process. Well, I feel like a lot of the good lots have dried up lately. You know, at least some of the save searches that I'd been using aren't having as much success as they used to. Um, Also, you know, base cards have kind of settled a little bit. So when you get a bunch of base cards in a lot, it's not as profitable as it was for a short time. But... I did stumble across a pretty good lot last week for around $35 shipped, and there were about 35 top-loaded cards in there. More than half of them were junk. Some of the top-loaders were dirty. They had some old price stickers on them, Um, and there there were a few cards that would more than pay for the lot, and those are the kind of characteristics that really appeal to me when I'm looking for lots. Uh, There were three cards, in fact, that stood out to me. It was a Kawhi Leonard Hoops rookie, an Anthony Davis Hoops rookie, and a Dwayne Wade Bazooka Gold Rookie. Um, so this lot would have been worth, you know, at least two, if not three times what I paid for it. Well, I get the cards in the mail last Thursday, and I'm sorting through them quick. And, you know, usually I would I would just immediately put the Anthony Davis and the Kawhi in my show inventory and not pay much attention to them. But I noticed that the Anthony Davis um, looked a lot lighter than it normally would. Uh, questionably light. So I thought, well, you know, maybe this thing's been sitting out in the sun. So I put it under a light and I examined things closer. Well, then I took it out of the top loader because the cut seemed a little off. The texture wasn't quite right. And some of the front and the back of the card was blurry like that. The font, which that's not normal for hoops. Um, I took the Kawhi out and it had all the same characteristics. Now, I've been buying and selling 2012 hoops since 2012. Um, So a lot of these have gone through my hands and I already had a Kawhi and an Anthony Davis in my collection. So I pulled those out of my rookie box in order to do a quick comparison. And sure enough, I knew something was off and I was stunned because I've never, ever seen a fake hoops rookie, not for Luca, not for Giannis, not for either one of these guys. Um, You know, there's never really been anyone that was worth enough in the past for people to target them. Although, you know, I know people have said uh, maybe with David Robinson, but recently we haven't seen anything like that. 
Well, you know how the saying goes, follow the money. And now we have fake hoops. I've joked about hoops with some of my guests before, and I'll quote Mrs. Wax Museum, and I've told them, you know, hoop sucks, right? The thought that went through my head, you know, what sucks worse than hoops? Well, the first answer is hoops holiday, because there's no reason to have snow on basketball cards. But worse than snow on basketball cards is a fake hoops card. So I reached out to the seller. I thought, you know, this lot looks pretty random, like it's something maybe he picked up at a yard sale or whatever. Maybe he's just a flipper. Uh, Maybe he didn't know they were fake because there were some old price stickers on them, which, you know, I also thought, well, this is going to be difficult explaining that to him. He's not going to believe me, so maybe I should start with a compliment, right? I'll give him the compliment sandwich. So I wrote, good afternoon. I received these in the mail today. I appreciate the care in packaging and shipping them off, but I'm afraid to say the Kawhi and Anthony Davis cards look like counterfeits to me. I've owned many over the years, and the look, texture, feel, cut, etc. on these are way off. The font is even blurry on the front and back. I plan to return this lot, but wanted to give you a heads up first. Thanks. So, it wasn't even a, like, would you take these back? I mean, at this point with eBay, if I'm getting something fake, I'm just letting them know, hey, you're getting this back. Um, shortly after I got my response, he said, hello, they are not counterfeit. They are ASO reprint cards, which is A-C-E-O. And then he closed with, I apologize for any confusion or inconvenience. Okay. ASO, you, you might've seen this phrase before, you know, they, these types of cards have been on eBay for years. The consensus definition that I've seen is that it stands for art cards, editions, and originals. So I replied, well, you have these listed as originals. That's really deceptive. I'll submit for the return. And he said, yes, all but those two are. ASO are original, but they are custom printed cards. So some consider them as reprints. I apologize again for the confusion. Anyway, he accepted the return. uh, But I got the impression that EMT Man 44, once again, that's EMT Man 44, is not actually sorry for what he did. He's just sorry he got caught. Am I right, EMT Man 44? Because there's a distinct difference between a reprint and a counterfeit, and I see this question a lot. Um, A reprint is a card that is reproduced by a licensed company and labeled as such. A counterfeit is a design and template that someone has stolen. Um, So in this case, EMT Man 44, I guess that makes you a thief. And now I can affirmatively say, Hoops ASO sucks. I posted about this on my Instagram and several people commented something along the lines of, well, great, I just bought, you know, a Kawhi Hoops rookie. Now I need to look out for this. To be honest, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. Uh, But at the same time, you should probably keep some 2012 Hoops base cards on hand to compare. In fact, if I were to make any sort of counterfeit survival kit for new collectors and investors, it would have base from some of the popular sets like 86 Fleer, 2003 Tops, 2009 Tops, and I never would have put this one in there, but now 2012 Hoops, among others, because there's something about holding the card and the texture and the consistency that helps set a real card apart from a counterfeit. So yes, believe it or not, I bought fake hoops cards. 
All right. Well, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to tell you a little about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I signed up for the Fanatics affiliate program. Several of you have already purchased items using my link. Thank you. Whatever NBA gear you're looking for, or really any sport, there's a good chance Fanatics has it. And yes, they do even have sports card sets from time to time. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, well, as I mentioned in the intro, I had a nice chat with a collector named Tom this week. I enjoyed this one quite a bit, and I hope you do as well. All right, so today I have the pleasure of talking to someone that has been a sounding board for me on a couple of episodes, including episode three all the way back, which was about LeBron Silver Prisms. You might know him from his awesome FlipQuest threads on the blowout forums. You can find him there under the name TJ Force. I talked about one of his recent playoff buying experiments on episode 72, And on top of all that, I think he has great taste in cards. So, Tom, I hope I didn't leave anything out there, but if I did, I'm sure we'll cover it later. How's it going? Uh, It's going great. Um, I'm excited, um, you know, just uh, that you're having me on here. So it's going to be great to talk sports here uh, for the next 30 or four minutes and uh, talk a lot about cards. Yeah, and my listeners know that I, I don't do a lot of market talk on here. But um, your approach is unique. I like the way that you're approaching things. So I respect that. And it's something I think is worth covering. Now, since we haven't heard from you before, I know I've talked about you, but we haven't actually heard directly from you. I'd love if you could give us some of your collecting background. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. It's funny because you say market talk. And I guess that's like a perspective that I look for. But really, I'm a collector at heart, right? Um, You know, I kind of use my knowledge of the sports card market to navigate through and really uh, build a, what I think is a, a pretty nice collection on, on a budget, right? Try not to spend a lot of, um, you know, disposable income, you know, stuff I have to pay the bills with. Um, so I try to make my sports card collecting self-sustaining. Um, I'm a kid that grew up, you know, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s. So I was through the initial card boom when, you know, every um, every every card shop, every, every town had at least one card shop on the corner, right? Um so I went through kind of that stage and, and, you know, kind of the bust that happened afterwards and, um, you know, really stuck with it, uh, for, you know, most of my life here, the last 30 plus years. The one time I probably took a pause ironically was, um, you know, during college when LeBron was drafted, which, you know, in some ways I regret because, you know, I think about it like that's, uh, I was a Cleveland fan. So the one time I'm not collecting is when the Cavs you know, draft LeBron James. So, um, you know, missed opportunities there, but I was off doing other things and having good times. Uh, but then, you know, like a lot of people these days, um, it was about 2011, 2012 when, you know, life settled down a bit. I got married and I started getting back into sports card collecting. And I don't know what it was that piqued my interest again. I honestly think it was like a trip to Target when I said, ooh, let me buy one of those. You pull something nice and suddenly you're hooked again. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I just got back into it like that, um, you know, started kind of playing the flip game because when I was growing up, it was all about, you know, you always had a limited budget. You try to trade, you try to get better stuff. You try to, you know, get better cards through cards, um, you know, with so many ways to kind of buy and sell um, eBay, check out my cards and on Instagram. Yeah, I kind of uh, took that as a challenge. And, and since then, um, you know, built a, a pretty big collection out of, well, almost nothing um, through, I guess, my flip challenge, I guess you'd call it. Right. So you you actually jumped in kind of around the time LeBron left. Um, were you yeah. kind of soured on him or, or how did that um, influence you? No, um, you know, because it was cool watching him his first, what, seven years or so in Cleveland. And um, it was it's kind of funny because when he – um, when he left Cleveland, um, like a couple months after that, I, I left Cleveland, you know, I was just at a point in my life in my mid twenties, we're around the same age where it was just like, all right, I need to change the scenery. So in a way, and, you know, our lifestyles are immeasurably different, but in a way I kind of understood that said, look, this guy's like 25, 26 years old, you know, all he's known in his life is living in Northeast Ohio. I think part of it is, okay, let's go down and get a change of scenery. So I, it wasn't bitter. It wasn't, you know, I would have loved to see him stay in Cleveland, but there's actually a picture I have. Um, it's kind of funny. If you remember the decision, they had CNN covering it, right? Mm-hmm. And they had reaction in a bar in Cleveland, New York, Chicago, and Miami. And uh, the bar in Cleveland was the bar I was actually at. So <laughs> there's a picture uh, that I actually have of me, like in the background, they're showing the reporter and, and I'm like, you know, everybody else is mad and burning LeBron stuff. And I'm there like thumbs up, you know, like, eh, you know, sad <laughs> it is what him. it is. Right. Sad to see him go, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold it against them. I mean, you know, who, who, who gets a job when they're 18 and stays with the you know same job and the same role, you know, their entire life. I don't know some people, but you know, not everybody. So I kind of looked at it from that perspective. I did, however, have to take a year off rooting for him. You know, I, it couldn't take him winning the first year in Miami. That would have been just a little too much salt in the wound. Um, but, you know, by the second, by the time he actually won against Oklahoma City, I was, you know, I was rooting for him again. And really, that was probably my first flip back. I kind of realized that um, for a couple years in a row, I started buying LeBron uh, Topps Chrome rookies on literally Christmas Day, right? Hmm. Um, so I just, they're plentiful. So I'd find auctions ending Christmas morning when people are, you know, not doing anything. And, um, you know, I just win that auction. I buy them for $80 and wait to the finals and then, you know, sell them for 200. So right. I did that years in a row, you know, it wasn't anything big, but if you think like 2012, 2013, you know, prices aren't what they were. So just being able to buy something for $80, buy two or three of them and then wait a couple months. Well, you have to look at it percentage wise too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great jump. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was some pretty easy money. And then I'd go ahead and, you know, put that back into uh, back into the collection. All right. Well, that segues us into the next topic. Before we get to all the playoff buying stuff, you have acquired a couple of uh, nice recent additions that you've shared with me. I'm jealous of them. And um, so I'll, I'll kind of give us the intro here, but I'll let you do the majority of the talking. You picked up a pair of next day autographs of these two guys named Giannis and Steph Curry. So I'm sure people have heard of them before. Uh, 
before we talk about those two particular cards, those two specific ones, can you give us a little history on next day autographs? Yeah, sure. So, you know, to lead into it, I'll, 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 I think it'll give an idea of how I like to collect and kind of like my angles and my collection are, right? So everybody knows about the mainstream cards like Prism and Topps Chrome, you know, and Optic and things like that. And, you know, they're great for a collection. If you PC a guy, you know, you, you almost have to have that card, right? It's one mm -hmm. of those cases, even if it's not the hardest to find. But, um, you know, the more and more I collect, it's kind of a quest for me to get into the stuff that's, you know, still somewhat mainstream. Uh, you know, the, the brand's been around for a number of years, but is harder to find and, 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 and is much more rare. Um, and, and one of those sets to me is, um, uh, right now it's under the Don Ross brand, but it's called Next Day Autographs. And, um, yeah, I think it has a decent following. I mean, these things aren't cheap for, uh, for what they are, just, you know, autograph cards with no patches or shiny refractor. Um, right. And thin paper stock too. Sometimes paper stock docked. autographs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they have a following. There's people that pay for them, but you know, I think a lot of people probably newer to the game probably don't know about these, but you know, the kind of the story behind them is, um, you know, the rookie photo shoot happens shortly after the draft. Um, and is they're taking kind of the stock photos of the players, uh, you know, Panini, right there prints these cards out and has the players sign them. Um, they're pretty rare. They only make a hundred of them. And I could kind of say that there are no parallels, but um, you know, a base next day has about a hundred copies. That's it. Right. The players mm -hmm. sign there and, you know, insert them into Don Ross. I think there is case hits or something like that. So really hard to find. Um, and pretty rare. And to me, it's really neat because it's literally the first guy's autograph, the guy's first autograph. There's no question about the authenticity or, you know, somebody's mother signed it for him or anything like there. Cause they're all signing it right there. And, you know, I've seen videos and, and whatnot from these and, and people are actually, the players are actually having fun with this, right? It's the first mm -hmm. time seeing themselves on a sports card in an NBA uniform. Right. And you don't like Cam Reddish isn't signing a straight line by that point. <laughs> yeah, they're not quite so burnt out. So you, a lot of times you get the uh, you know some of the best signatures they're ever going to have. Um, and to me, it's something that that is you know kind of stands out and it's unique. And again, you you know rookie cards are big in this business. First, everything is big in this um, you know in collectibles. So it's the first autograph that they're ever going to sign in, on a card in an NBA uniform. So um, for me, it's kind of the perfect storm of uh, you know a nuanced thing to collect that maybe not everybody is into, but um, you know, to me, I think it really stands out. Yeah. And for those that uh, maybe have been around a while or maybe they, you know, took a break. Um, uh, there were other companies that did something similar to this. We had the tops photo shoot autographs. Um, Upper deck had their version, which wasn't nearly as popular. Um, but other companies have tried this and it, it's a pretty cool concept. And I, I'm not even sure. I think the earliest ones I know of from tops are 2002, but I'm not sure if that's the first one or not. It might not be. Um, now the ones you picked up though, however, you said you alluded to what you picked up. You said, uh, there's not really a parallel, but there kind of is. So tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So, um, this was something I didn't even know about. Uh, a year ago, I didn't know about it. I probably learned about it in the last yeah, 10 months or so. Um, that, you know, they print these cards out and, you know, they have the players sign about 100 of them. But um, at the same time, uh, they print out a, I guess you could call it a parallel 
uh, called personal editions, right? And, and the whole idea behind this is, you know, they give the guys, you know, a handful. They never release the official number, but they give the guys a handful to actually go ahead and keep or, you know, trade with their friends or, you know, give to their family and whatnot, right? So they go ahead and they get them there and um, many times they'll sign them right there. And um, it's a parallel that, I mean, these things almost never surface. Um, the reason I found it was because a while back, um, you know, it was an EA search and um, the only Giannis to ever uh, surface um, hit eBay. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I saw it and I'm like, all right, this is, this is unique. This is neat. This is a, you know, a really an unknown parallel of a set that I think is important. So, you know, I have to go out and get it. And since then, you know, it's, um, you know, it's been something that I've been searching for um, any player and they almost never come up. I mean, I, I came across, uh, you know, there was a, there was a Zach Levine that I missed on eBay a while back. And I was mad that I missed it. I just, you know, I wasn't searching Zach Levine at that point. Right. You know, I think, uh, well, uh, was it Minnesota Chill, one of, another blowout member that yeah. ended up getting it? Yeah. And, and you know, he's a, uh, you know, he's a Minnesota fan, so I'm not going to try to wrestle it away from him. Right. Um, full unique card. And again, what, one of the things that makes it so unique is, you know, the reason so many collectors like on-card autos is because the player's actually, you know, holding the card, signing it as opposed to a sticker, Right. Um, this kind of takes that to a new level where, you know, the player actually owned it, right? It was their card. So right. whatever they did. And again, they almost never, um, they almost never come up and to the point where literally between PSA and BGS, there was literally one card graded up until recently. And that was, um, you know, the honest. Right. So, and we, we know he likes his own cards so the fact <laughs> yeah. that this one got out i guess is is even more uh surprising yeah he must have let this one go out before he decided to, that it's <laughs> so valuable um and if you what you talked about earlier if you want to see a guy whose autograph is degraded over the years um you know if you see what it is now it's a letter g and a and that's it um you know this signature i mean he wrote out almost his entire last name and put his number on it, which he only did for, I've, I've found five cards that had, uh, that he's ever signed that had the full name and, and, and number. Um, and they're all one of ones in this card, which, you know, it's the only but one, one of them wasn't it the logo man that just sold for like 4.8 million or whatever. Didn't that have it? No, the original did. Cause you, you know, the story on the logo oh. all got replaced. The, right? the mustard stain, the mustard stain, so the original copy of the logo man had the full autograph with, uh, with his number and everything. Um, the replacement copy he signed and he didn't sign the number. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the full signature. He'd stopped by that. Hmm. Uh, which is also cool because it dates, you know, again, it, it goes back to dating the, uh, the card, but all the other uh, next days that he signed right there were just full name. This one, he just added his number for whatever reason. I don't know. He liked it. He knew he was going to keep it. So he added the full thing. Um, so, you know, things like that kind of add to the story. So, you know, I've kept my eye out for these cards, um, uh, you know, for a long time. And then here a couple of weeks ago on Blowout, um, somebody else posts something. Hey, I found this cool Steph Curry card. You know, uh, guys wants to sell it to me locally. Sh should I buy it? I open it up and I almost gasped because, you know, there's a Steph Curry next day, uh, personal edition, you know, beautiful signature. Um, and I just reached out to the guy and, you know, 
basically it's like, what, what do we need to get, do to get a deal done? You know? Um, and we ended up doing it, you know, it worked out great for him. I remember, he, you know, his story, you know, he had bought it from somebody and it was, you know, he, he made some good money in it. Let's just say that. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I won't say uh, the figure is out there probably, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he made some good money on it, which, you know, he had an awesome card, so I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, it's good for right. him. He found the deal. Um, and kind of the story there was, uh, you know, a long time ago, he went to the Steph Curry basketball camp and, um, you know, they were handing out autographs and, you know, Curry handed out, this card. So, you know, it was in Curry's position. He handed it out as one of like the gifts for showing up there. Um, the big risk was, you know, I've never spent that much on a, on a, on a sports card, um, you know, without a hundred percent kind of ironclad background um, that had yet to be authenticated. So right. my big risk there was, oh, I'm showing this out, uh, you know, enough out for this card to, um, you know, hope that it comes back authentic otherwise we're gonna have a big headache um, well and there are fake uh next days out there and i i think um was it 2016 we were seeing them for what ingram and uh brown i think yeah yeah so um but you know i i, I mean i did my research right i talked to some other people that were pretty knowledgeable about it um i talked to you about it and we kind of discussed it as length of kind of like what's the you know, what's the risk here? What are the chances that it made up? You know, examine the autograph, everything looked good. So, you know, I sent it to PSA for, you know, kind of a two day grade um, just to make sure the aut autograph was authentic and, you know, came back, was authentic autos, perfect autos, the auto graded a 10. And, um, you know, so now I have, you know, they're, you know, two graded and, and you know, they're, you know, Curry and uh, Giannis. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty awesome start to the collection. Yeah, I mean that's you know it's not like LeBron has got a Panini one, so that's as good <laughs> no. as it's going to get. And and it's funny. I remember um, like Danny Granger had the Topps mm -hmm. photo shoot in two thousand five, and yep. um, a friend and I we were looking at him, and it's like, oh, that one doesn't have the search sticker on the back. We don't want yeah. that one. And yeah. you know, kind of later down the road, now I'm like, oh yeah, that was basically a personal edition. Maybe I should have wanted that one. Yeah. Yeah, it just adds a whole layer of uniqueness to it. Um, you know, kind of the other cool thing about the Curry is, I mean, that was the first year they did this. And then in 2009, the next days were, I mean, they hardly exist. I, I have no, I don't even know how many they, they printed, um, even of the regular kind. Um, the recent years are like, uh, they're all around 100. But the first year, I mean, I've heard people throw out numbers like there are only 20 of them. There are only 10 of them. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't find a Tyler Hansborough. Um, and I say that Tom knows this. He can see me right now. I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm wearing a Tyler Hansbro shirt at the moment. It's just a coincidence. So, so if you want to get an idea of how, uh, you know, how many, uh, copies there are, go, you know, try to estimate the number of Tyler Hansbro collectors there are out there. And, you know, <laughs> and it's somewhere less than that because it won't show up. Right. All right. Well, um, is there anything else before we move on? Is there anything else that you want to add about next days or anything that I glossed over here? Um, yeah, just, just, to, you know, everybody kind of listening, you know, I just kind of use it as like a, um, I feel like there's finally started, start to a movement here. 
you know, like a, a few months ago, everybody was going after bass and was just getting gem mint bass. There, you know, a lot of the more common stuff, um, which, you know, has its place. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but, um, you know, for anybody who doesn't do this, like just doing research and collecting different things and finding sets that, you know, aren't necessarily what everybody else is collecting. Um, that's kind of how I've built so much of my collection and, and then done well flipping, right? Not just buying what's already hot, but looking at the stuff that, um, you know, it stands out as unique, um, is kind of, uh, is kind of limited, um, and, 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 you know, getting ahead of that, the curve on things like that. So this is just kind of an example, uh, um, of, of what I've done there. Right. And that, you know, that's, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, I've, I've talked on this show about spending a hundred dollars on a Kerwin Roach autograph, the guys in the G league, but it's like, you know, that was a tops Chrome card. It's like, this is, I will never see another one of these probably in my life. So I'm going to get it when I see it. Yeah. And that's huge. Interesting. You said that, um, one of the, uh, you know, one of, I guess one of my rules, right. When buying or selling is, you know, to whatever capacity I can, if I can get something that I'll, may never see again and it's a significant you know card or player or something like that i go ahead and get it same thing with selling like I, I, unless i you know i won't sell something that i probably will never get back again unless it's to buy something even more rare that i'll never be able to get again right right you know the, the more common stuff look i could sell something you know, you know prism rookie and, and buy it back a year later if i want but you know the stuff that you're never going to see again or never see again for a reasonable price try to hold on to that. So speaking of, of accumulating base prism and selling it (laughs) short term, um, that's a great segue to the next thing I wanted to have you on to talk about. There's a number of things we could talk about. I'll probably have to have you on again in the future, but in mid July, you posted a thread on blowout that, um, we'll say it was an experiment. I think that's an appropriate title for it. And the thread was called card prices, Vegas odds, Pareto principle, and why you can't score chicks on Tinder. So there, as I said the first time I talked about this, there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I tried to do it in episode 72, but we need to hear it straight from the source. So tell me a little bit about this July experiment. Okay, sounds good. So, you know, I'm, I'm again, kind of always looking at the sports card market and, and, and trying to you know, study things and look for opportunities. Um, and, you know, again, I have limited resources, so I'm not always out there, you know, uh, capitalizing on these things, but, you know, it's kind of interesting to share sometimes. So first off, I have a theory that, um, you know, sports cards and with a lot of things that um, you know, ultimately over time, the best of the best outperform, you know, everywhere from the bottom half to kind of the, you know, the, the third quartile, um, you know, if you have been, every year since 2003 buying LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade, LeBron being obviously the top tier, you'd be much better buying LeBron, even though the other two definitely worked out. Right. Um, it's and, like and, macho man. He said the cream rises to the top, right? Ex- exactly. Right. And, 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 you know, there's, there's actually a uh, kind of a, a theory, I guess it's like an economic principle called, uh, it's called the Pareto principle. And, you know, it's the idea that, um, you know, the top 20% of, you know, people in the world own 
80% of the wealth, land, whatever it is. And that principle kind of goes throughout um, you know, a lot of things in life, right? It's not just uh, you know, land ownership or, or wealth ownership. Um, there's some pretty uh, seemingly random places that also shows up. One is, um, you know, 85% of wins in baseball, according to uh, WAR, um, are, they're accumulated at the top 15% of the players, right? So it's, it's the top 15% of the players doing the best. So that's close to 80-20. Um, and another random tidbit that I found, and I know nothing about because I've been married for over eight years now, is that uh, apparently 80% of the uh, women on Tinder match with the top 20% of the men, hmm. right? Um, so, you know, if you're the top 20% of the man, uh, of men on Tinder, you do very well. Um, you know, the bottom 80%, not so well, but just, there's just things throughout the world where, you know, the, the very top tier gets really a very, very uneven amount of, I guess, the benefit from things. Right. Um, so I think that's definitely, uh, you know, takes place in the sports card market, whether it's players or whether it's sets. So you see like a, a set like uh, uh, PMGs from the 90s outperform everything else because they're the top set. Um, so I kind of wanted to apply that to, uh, you know, the playoffs because there was so much, I guess, unpredictability. I thought something weird was going to happen. Like I did not expect the team to make a run, right? Um, so my thought is this, okay, so how could I use that? You know, the, the guys that will probably do best are, you know, whoever gets to the finals, right? Um, kind of the standout players. And our card prices should reflect that. So, what's a methodology I could look at uh, to, you know, essentially try to guess, you know, which player's card would double or triple or quadruple, um, you know, throughout the bubble, right? Um, and, and I did a number of things. I looked. I, I kind of stuck my analysis to, you know, PSA ten, Prism, or Topps Chrome rookie cards. Um, and looked at population reports and current prices and then compared them all to Vegas odds, right? To find, uh, I guess, uh, players, like kind of alpha players on teams that weren't necessarily the favorites, but uh, had a chance to make a run to the finals. Um, but the card prices weren't quite reflecting. And, and I came across, um, you know, five players that I thought would have a chance to do that. And one ended up kind of being right. And that was Jimmy Butler. Um, so, what, you know, my theory was, okay, what if you bought, you know, Prism PSA 10 rookie cards of, you know, these five guys and uh, held them to look like one was going to get knocked out of the playoffs, sold them off, and then finally, if one of them did make it to the finals, kind of sell at its peak right then. Um, and, and I think it worked to a degree. I think Jimmy Butler was a guy that, well, like, uh, you know, more or less if you would have bought his card for $400 at the time that I wrote this, kind of peaked at like 1100 or 1150. So you would have more than kind of doubled your, uh, doubled your money because they were, you know, kind of a surprise uh, performer in the bubble. The heat were um, that everybody didn't price in already, you know, like, like LeBron was very much priced in that he was going to get to the finals. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of doing that and the idea being, well, then you sell on hype that they might win, win the final. So uh, that was kind of the experiment. And now, uh, you know, the, I think the results are pretty interesting. So, um, and I don't know if you want to talk about outliers just yet. You also had like LeBron and Giannis, you basically, I think it was LeBron, Giannis, and was it Luca that were all yeah. your outliers? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, the kind of the exercise was, you know, just for fun was like, let's find the guy that's going to again, triple. Right. Mm -hmm. And the way I looked at it, you know, 
Le, LeBron Topps Chrome Rookie was going for 11000 at that point already. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's 2000 of these. There's no way, you know, even if he wins the title, which he did, there's no way this card sells for 30000 right? And it, right. it did title, and now it's selling for eleven. It's the same as it was when it started. You know, it saw a little bit of a spike at one point and then back down. It's kind of the same thing for the Giannis where, you know, is a is a four thousand dollar card at the time, and I'm just thinking, you know, even if they win, people are expecting him to get to the finals. Him getting to the finals shouldn't triple the value, uh, but there might be other and and Luca again. Um, I think their odds were too far away. Yeah, I didn't consider teams with you know thirty to one odds or anything, um, but you know also the population on that card is so sky high you know, there hits a point where, you know, that gets to a certain price and the market would just flood with that card. Right. So, um, you mentioned already that, that Butler, you did see a rise in Butler cards and your other, um, your other guys, and I don't have this in front of me. It, it was Westbrook. Um, was it Siakam? Yeah. Westbrook, Siakam, Embiid and Simmons. Um, you know, they're all guys with, the, you know, that, that, you know, Vegas said they were kind of like that next tier where they weren't favorites. Um, you know, but they had a decent chance. Um, and it, it, the funny thing was, even if you would have, uh, the way the market went, I think it's more of a macro thing. If you would have bought at day one and sold the moment they got knocked out of the playoffs, other than Simmons, cause he got hurt. Um, you still would have essentially probably broken even on those cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the big winner would have been Butler. So even if you would just bought everything, you know, it would have been a win. Uh, right. It's just a, it's just a timing thing. And like you, you said, kind of going into it, this is a short term project, right? It's nothing you're, you're going to hold, you know, LeBron is your, your hold long-term kind of guy. Yep. Um, and then your other guys, it's like, all right, it's all about timing. Um, yeah. So now we get to the fun part and, and you talked about this a little bit, but we get to analyze it after the fact. And, and I'm sure you've thought a lot about it a lot since then. I know I have, and I didn't even make it. I don't have you know anything in these guys. Um, I know you haven't posted any sort of summary yet, but if you had to write a follow-up post that analyzed this whole thing, what would it say? Yeah. Um, that kind of, uh, you know, it almost in a short term, it becomes a, uh, you know, buy the, uh, what is, what's the old saying? Like, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type thing. Um, so, you know, to a degree, the price has hit sky high, you know, in anticipation of something happening. And this happened with even LeBron too, right? Where he wins a title and the price is softened a little bit. Um, even, even Zion and his debut, we saw the same thing. Absolutely. People weren't happy with 19 and six, right? Or whatever <laughs> yeah. he averaged. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, there's a certain amount to that when you're thinking short-term. I mean, long-term, it might be a little different. Um, but also, you know, overall, I think it was, it was, uh, it was a decent exercise because essentially you're trying to find the needle in the haystack here. Um, the one surprising thing was that, you know, the guys that popped the most or blew up the most in the bubble, you know, didn't even make my radar because there were uh, such long shots to do anything. <laughs> You know, and I'm not counting Bull Bull because, right, different different things. You know, uh, or, or T.J. Warren. Are you counting him? T.J. Warren, not things like that. But you know, off the top of my head, the two guys that blew up the most in the bubble were uh, uh, Damian Lillard and um, uh, Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why 
you know, those guys didn't even make my list was, you know, in Portland was like 90 to one odds of, you know, making the finals or something because, you know, when the bubble started, they were four and a half games back. So the odds of them even making the playoffs weren't that high. And, um, and, and the miss on Murray was that, you know, I still don't know if he's even the best player on the team. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of the teams around him. He's alpha, but he was the best player in the playoffs for them, especially in that first round. That's for sure. So, you know, if you, if I were going to do an analysis that included those guys, I, I probably would have had to analyze, you know, 50 possible players that, you know, could have, could have done this. Right. Right. Well, you started with 15, um, I started and, with 15, yeah. I think uh, Mitchell was a guy that you said that you yep. bought into and you believe in. And, yep. uh, you know, now, albeit it was short because they got eliminated, but, uh, and I don't think anyone really thought the Jazz were going to do all that much. Um, but you, I mean, I'm sure his stuff went up. Yeah. And I think the next, the next couple of guys on my list were, I think Mitchell was there, Tatum was there, um, you know, a couple guys like that. Um, that again, they did, they did, uh, they did pretty well. Um, yeah, if you would have, uh, if you would have gotten in on them, uh, you would have done really well. Um, yeah, I was just, you know, for the hardcore detailing, I needed to you know, narrow it down to five guys, right? Right. But the idea, I think the the idea was like, we'll try to find the alpha from the team, right? Because again, it's that, it's that you're finding, trying to find the top tier player on the top tier team, right? Um, but shoot, now that I think about it, I bet if you would have done that with, uh, you know, if you would have included guys like Mitchell and Tatum and, you know, Damian Lillard and just expanded it to every team that didn't already have a, you know, a title priced in like uh, Giannis or LeBron, he probably would have done well. Yeah. Now, and I don't know how much, you know, selling of these guys you actually did during this time frame. Um, did you run into eBay returns? That's something that would scare me. No, I didn't do any, um, actually didn't do any selling. I mean, I, I didn't even, I didn't actually like, you know, do this. This was more of like a thought experiment. I think the only thing that I had sold was, um, around the time that I was already posting this. Um, I think I, I had like 11 Ben Simmons PSA tens that I had picked up a year before for, you know, $75 a piece. And I needed to make a big purchase for another item. And I sold, you know, I sold off like a hundred different cards and yeah, I sold a few of those just to, you know, clear up some funds. So it was actually against what I was, you know, prophesizing here if they would have made a run or something like that, but a much bigger kind of collection need came up. So it's, you know, at the end of the day, what I really have one card, I really cherish or 11 of the same card. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was related to this. Right. So I guess the big question is, you know, sounds like you were somewhat pleased. Is this an activity that, you know, let's say, and who knows what's going to happen. You know, this, this year was a perfect storm, crazy market. Um, But let's say, you know, if, if there is some similarity, is this an activity that you would try again next year? Um, I'd probably take a shot at it. I mean, I don't know if I'd, it's so hard to say because I don't know what the market's going to look like next year. Um, you know, it's just, there was so much more interest and so much money flowing into the market this year. You know, I I can't tell if that's going to come back next year, if that same money isn't going to come back next year, or it's going to come back, you know, even bigger than it was before. Like it has the last several years in a row. Um, and and if it does come back, it might come back in different ways because the market has already shifted where, 
you know, a lot of these kind of more base cards and, 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 and kind of base rookies, um, you know, have, you know, they dropped and they've been pretty steady, pretty even lately. Uh, but you know, the ultra high end stuff is just going nuts right now. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are doing what I did and saying, okay, well I made a heck of a lot of money buying these kind of base prism rookie cards and I can sell them all off and get something that, you know, is almost impossible to find. I even see, you know, some of the, what I would consider to be staples in, in hobby history, like these massive collections are coming out of the shadows and it's like because they have so little comparatively into this stuff that it's like you know it's time to get rid of it yeah yeah i mean it's possible Uh, some of the high-end stuff is going for so much right now i think you know like you you brought that uh the giannis national treasures um the trout super fractor uh you know went for how much did that go for for something yeah something insane something, some life changing amount of money for the right person. Um, you know, so some people are just cashing in and, you know, you know, changing their lives for the better. And then other people are seeing, uh, kind of the, um, uh, you know, the opportunity if they can get on the next card like that. I mean, I'll tell you what I, you know, the big purchase that I made that I sold off a whole heck of a lot of stuff for was, um, you know, there was an opportunity to pick up, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, um, gem mint national treasures, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think about football cards and I'm a big football fan, um, you know, has a chance to be one of the best football cards ever made. If he keeps playing for the next 15 years, the way he's been playing the last two or three. Um, and it's just one of those cards where like, okay, well, you know, depending on where you got off the train may have already left the station to begin with, but, um, you know, people are looking at that as like, okay, this could be the kind of the next great sports card. Right. Especially, and I don't know if he still does. I think there was one guy that owned a lot of them at one point and got in really early. Yeah. Um, it was kind of interesting because there, yeah, there's one guy that has a big percentage of kind of the base out of 99. Um, and, and he has a big percentage of like the good, great, like the top grades too. Yeah this was a situation where one night uh, 9.5 jumped up on eBay, which, you know, you hardly ever see 9.5, 10 auto. Um, and, you know, I messaged the guy and, you know, he lived two hours away from me. And my proposition was, you know, here's a price, you know, if you don't want to worry about shipping it, I'll drive up there and, you know, we can kind of do the deal in person. And I think he liked that. Um, so it's kind of a funny story. I made the deal and um, you know, I honestly was not expecting him to accept the offer. He did. And then I thought to myself, oh, man, I need to come up with this money now. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had nowhere right. near that much in uh, um, I had nowhere near that much in, uh, you know, in PayPal at the moment. Uh, but it was, you know, right before the bubble was going to start off. I knew basketball market was pretty high at that point. So, you know, I honestly, I had – literally a couple shoe boxes of kind of, I guess, flip stuff that I had invested in that I picked up that, I mean, they're sitting in shoe boxes that shows you, you know, <laughs> my immense level of attachment to them. And honestly, it was, it was to the point where I was getting a little bit annoyed because I knew I had some really nice stuff, but, um, you know, I couldn't enjoy it cause it was too much. Right. Right. I found what I needed to get to pay for the Mahomes and, you know, I decided I could part with it and just listed a hundred plus cards on eBay, 
you know, spent a lot of time shipping them out. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some really nice stuff that I had to move on from, but you know, I, I enjoy having kind of a, a smaller number of nicer things, uh, you know, than again, 11 Ben Simmons prison rookie guards. Right. Right. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, definitely an approach to consider. Well, uh, Tom, you know, like I said earlier, I really appreciate your approach. I like your taste in cards. Um, we might not be buying the same players, but uh, that's what makes this hobby so great. And uh, it was great having you on. Before I let you go, is there anything, any social media, anything you'd like to share with us or plug? Um, I mean, not really. Um, uh, you know, I don't think so. I don't think there's anything that um, – I guess the last thing that I would kind of even want to talk about if we have a minute here is just, uh, again, kind of the importance of, uh, you know, if you're doing what I'm doing kind of trading back and forth and flipping and stuff, I guess doing it with integrity and being straightforward with people. Right. Um, I always like to get that out because I think I started at flip thread maybe four or five years ago, something like that. And back then to me, flip meant something else. It was trading. Right. I feel mm-hmm. like last year or two, a lot of people that aren't necessarily from the collecting community, I uh, think flipping means almost like getting something over on somebody. Right. Right. Um, and that's, that's not, that's not kind of the way to operate in the long term. A lot of times the best, uh, you know, the best moves you make, the best deals you make are just from getting to know people in the hobby and stuff like that. So, um, and I guess, uh, you know, instead of plugging, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the Instagram handle or anything, I'll, I'll just, you know, Plug just uh, kind of being straightforward with people and, and, and trying to find deals with people that really work for both parties. And if values change after that, then that's one thing. But, you know, at the time, kind of being honest and straightforward with people just makes this hobby such such a better place. Because ultimately, like I said in the beginning, I, I may do a lot of flipping and trading and buying and selling and stuff, but I do it to be a collector, right? And, and kind of the fun that comes along with that. So that's uh, that's my plug. Awesome. Well, that's a great note to end on. Tom, thanks again. I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thank you. Once again, I want to extend a big thanks to Tom for coming on the show. Hopefully there was something that you could take away from this. And I also want to add, you know, Tom and I, uh, we did a lot of talking. We even talked after the recording for quite a bit. We each have our own guesses for how many next day autograph personal editions are out there for each player. You know, it's just something for fun that interests us. And after we were done chatting, I got to thinking, why don't I just ask someone? So I sent a message to Tone Stakes. Some of you might remember him as the former Panini employee that I chatted with in episodes 60 and 61. He was very gracious in coming on and talking to me. Um, So I sent him a message and I said, do you have any idea how many of these are produced for each player? And he responded, I think we gave them about 25 of their own cards. Anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. It's not an exact number, but it's an estimate from someone that was pretty involved in the process. All right, well, you've heard enough from me this week. Now I'd love to hear from you. Maybe there was something that resonated with you from today's conversation. Let me know on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast. My Twitter is at WaxMuseumPC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. Or shop through my Fanatics link and I'll get a small cut. And until next time, this 
is the Wax Museum Podcast.